What we don't need in the midst of struggle is shame for being human. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my dear, dear, dear shit shows. Shit show nation. I am recording this on my phone right now. I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I'm about ready to throw my fucking computer against the wall. Uh, For any new listeners, hi, I'm Andrea. I'm a shit show. And we say fuck here. Okay, so that might be a deal breaker for some folks. I understand. You know, people say, here, I'm just going to go off on a tangent. People say, or I'll get, you know, criticism for the cursing. Uh, There's not that many adult child podcasts out there. Why can't you just not curse so everybody can listen to it? You know, adult child recovery is about being ourselves. And my true self says fuck, okay? I'm just letting you know that. My true self enjoys saying the word fuck. Um, But continuing on, I've just been having, yesterday it was Wi-Fi, today it is computer issues, microphone issues. I just recorded all of this and uh, when I went to edit it, it literally sounds like I'm underwater gargling mouthwash (laughs) at the same time. Oh, so moving it along, folks. Uh, So today we are diving deep with Alwyn. So she is the host of the Let Me Be Free podcast. This is a podcast that she hosts with her sister where they talk about their trauma healing journey as well as interview other folks like myself. So I had the the honor and privilege of, of being a guest on their pod um, and then to, I had the honor and pr- privilege of getting to interview Alwyn. So as you'll soon hear, uh, she's Irish, but she she lives in Australia. And I didn't realize that she, I knew she lived in Australia, and I just assumed that she was Australian. When um when I first started talking to her, when she was interviewing me, and she mentioned that she lived in, in Perth, which is on the, you know, the west coast of Australia, I was like, I didn't realize that people in Western Australia (laughs) sound like they're Irish. They don't. She's just Irish. So trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. This conversation is heavy, okay? Uh, We do discuss childhood sexual abuse. I will include uh, timestamps in the show notes that show when we talk about that. It's not super graphic, Um, And we do just discuss it for about 10 minutes or so. But basically the gist of it is, is that both her and her sister had uh, repressed memories that that came to the surface a couple years ago related to to childhood sexual abuse. The whole conversation is heavy, just letting you know, but the sexual abuse part is just a small portion of it. But yeah, this is a this is um a dense. I don't I don't think that's the right word. Dense. Does that mean stupid? I think that means stupid. Um, and hopefully that's not like not PC thing to say. Dense. I don't. You know what I mean. This is heavy. I'm trying to think of another word than heavy. We just talk about some heavy topics. How many times can I say heavy? We're talking about shame and parenting. I mean, this conversation really fed my soul because 
it's she's so vulnerable and she's so authentic and she's just she just lays it out there which I really appreciate and it's like what I said in the first episode what did I say it is through shining a light on the shame and pain of my past that I've been able to create a life of depth and meaning and that is what Alwyn is doing in this conversation is shining a light on her the shame and pain of her past which leads us to light and freedom and healing and love and so um i just really 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 appreciate her her vulnerability and her honesty and i think she has some really really powerful things to say and i know you guys are going to get a lot out of this another thing pertaining to the conversation so she used mdma as part of her her trauma healing journey so the research in using MDMA, um, other psychedelics in treating trauma, the research is just really, really, really profound. Me, as, as a sober gal, I don't necessarily think that it would be wise for me. But for anybody who's not, you know, who doesn't struggle with uh, substance abuse issues, I do, I do think it's a, a powerful healing modality. The one comment I just want to make is that her and her sister, they were not using it like under medical supervision. Her sister did a ton of research prior to to them um, doing it. But I do just want to say that I don't necessarily want to promote using psychedelics necessarily without being under the supervision of um, a medical professional. What else? Any other disclaimers? <laughs> I don't think I have any others. Uh, so let's move the damn show on the road. But first, it is time for you to damn the join shit show. So as I said before, I moved Patreon. I moved off of Patreon and moved the community to Mighty Networks. And it just allows for a much more robust community than what I was able to do on Patreon. So what do we have going on here? I host multiple Zoom support groups a week. Additionally, we have all of these various discussion threads set up. So there's kind of like the main shit show space where you can post things. But then we also have all these small groups set up that are for more individualized topics. Uh, so for example, let me read you some of these. So we have uh, shit show dudes. We have healthcare workers. We have shit show hormones are whack. Uh, we have psychedelics and shit. So for those who want to partake in that, uh, we have dogma derelicts. So for those who are atheists or agnostics, um, there's a bunch of them. The other one that I really want to highlight is we have a, a CSA survivors group. So a childhood sexual abuse survivors group. Within this group, they're having their own little meetings, Zoom meetings, once or twice a week. And from what I hear, the, the healing, the connection that is going on within this small community within the shit show is extremely profound and is a really a place that they feel really safe sharing and talking about these things. So we have two separate tiers going on here. So there's the regular shit show membership, which includes access to the weekly Zoom support groups, as well as access to all the various discussion board threads. And then we have the super shit show tier. So on top of what I just named in the regular shit show 
membership. You get a monthly live workshop with Barb Nangle. So she's boundaries coach Barb Nangle, who's been on the podcast several times. She does a, a workshop once a month. You, you also get access to the recordings of these if you're not able to make the live ones. So I can tell you the first two ones that we had. The first one was overcoming the victim mentality. And then the one that we had just this past week was titled keep the focus on yourself. Um, in addition to the workshop with Barb, we have an additional workshop, a monthly workshop that is typically with former podcast guests. So the first one we had was with um, Janine Rashidi. So she's the author of Abundance Over Trauma. She did a workshop on identifying your trauma triggers. And then this past Saturday, we had on Regina Lawrence, who's the, the breathwork gal. And she did an hour-long breathwork for healing trauma workshop with us as well. Also, same thing, all of the uh, the replays are available for the workshops as well, including all of the previous workshops that we've had through the podcast. So currently, there are six different workshops on there that you have access to. This is not an official ACA community, and I want to make sure that that is very clear. Uh, while many of our members are in ACA, and while we definitely do read some of the literature and some of our groups, this community is not officially linked to ACA in any capacity. And, and with that, I th the thing that makes this different is that we're not constrained to only discuss um, like ACA approved literature in our meetings. So we are talking about a lot of different healing modalities rather than just the 12 steps as it relates to healing from growing up in a dysfunctional family. So if you're wondering who the hell is in this group, well, let me tell you. We have people from the ages of 25 to 75. We have people that come from all different dysfunctional family types. So we have people that grew up in um, an alcoholic or addicted home. We have people who are grandchildren of, of alcoholics. So their parents were adult children. We have people who come from hyper-controlling or hypercritical households. We have people who had narcissistic parents or suffered from another type of mental illness. We had people who grew up in an extremely religious household. You name it, we got it as it relates to dysfunctional family types. You know, we have people who prior to joining the community, they were already members of 12-step communities. We have other people who have never been a part of any sort of recovery community prior to joining. We have people that are in therapy. We have people that are not in therapy. We have people that have all various religious and spiritual viewpoints or people who have no spiritual viewpoint at all. We have people that are married. We have people that are divorced. We have people that have never been married. We have people who have kids that still live in the house. We have people who whose kids are grown. We have people that don't have any kids. We have everything. <laughs> we have everything. Uh, the last thing before I get off my soapbox. So I sent out a survey to the community. And one of the questions that I asked them was, what is the biggest takeaway that you have had from being a part of this community? So I'm just going to read you some of these answers. Being connected with loving real folks that totally relate to how and what I am feeling. Feeling supported by like-minded individuals so I, that I don't have to do recovery alone. I realize that I'm not crazy and that I can heal. I can honestly share without judgment and I turn to the group before burdening my family and my friends. Uh, that my recovery can reach deeper levels that I was not previously aware of. 
Just being seen and heard by people who understand can be incredibly powerful, more than I would have expected. A sense of belonging, that I am not alone, that we are together on this healing journey. I don't feel alone anymore. (laughs) Sensing a theme. I'm not the only one. Compassion. Um, Addressing issues that are not discussed in other 12-step meetings. A place that I can be accepted for who I really am when I have the courage to let people see me. Um, Being around people who get me. Having a meeting in my pocket. I love that I can easily connect with other people. A feeling of belonging among others who understand. So as I've said over and over and over again, this is relational trauma. We heal this shit through relationships. This is a safe place for you to do so. This is a place for you to feel heard, seen, accepted, understood like never before. If you did not listen to the episode that I had a couple weeks ago on community, where I um, I played a recording from the most recent shit show retreat. Oh, that's the other thing that you get to do if you want to be part of this community is that you get to get invitations to our shit show retreats where we just have so much fucking fun. We have so much fun and we have so much fun in this group in general. We laugh in this community. So how about you damn the join shit show? Boy, I've missed saying that. And you can do so by going to the shitshow.mn, so Mike Nancy, dot co, the shitshow.mn.co, or you can just go check out the show notes um, and see a link there. We are waiting for you. Come join this shit show party peeps. Uh, give me a damn follow on the Insta, on the TikTok, at Adult Child Pod. And last but not least, give me a damn five-star review on Apple and Spotify. Thanks. Love you all. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So today we are joined by Alwyn. She's the host of the Let Me Be Free podcast, which I was a guest on. And then she also has a support community called the Let Me Be Free, the Wounded Inner Child group. Did I mess that up? No, no. that's perfect. Okay. And here's a real mind fuck. So she's um, an, an Irish person in Australia. Yeah, <laughs> that is, that is a, compli- a complicated one. Yeah. when we When we talked before, I was like... Wow, I didn't know that on in Western Australia that they had like Irish sounding accents. I'm like, yes. this is so weird. <laughs> I know, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy, especially doing the podcast and all the rest of the stuff. You know, it's when they hear me, they're like, oh, you're Irish. I'm like, yes, I'm Irish. I'm just living in Australia. <laughs> and how long have you been there again? 13 years. Wow. Hmm. And you yeah. went straight from Ireland, right? Yeah, Ireland mm-hmm. to Perth in Australia. And how did you pick it again? Oh, my husband's um, my husband's brother and sister-in-law were here. So we came over to them thinking we'll come for a year, you know, because my husband had lost his job. And then, you know, 13 years later, we're probably one of the last ones to be here. Most everyone really? else went back. Mm. Why, did, why did his brother um, come there? 
uh, all of us because it was the recession in Ireland. Mm. So most people were losing their jobs at that point. And so you we were kind of forced to leave. But I'm so grateful. Like, honestly, I think that it's actually um, when you think about the trajectory of of healing, especially, I think that so many of us um, that immigrate, we nearly do it from that vantage point of getting space so that we can open up the wounds so that we can heal. And that's been our case. Like my husband and I, um, we're the ones that have stayed away the longest and my sister as well is here. And, you know, because we've been here, I feel like it's given us that permission and that capacity to open up Pandora's box, essentially, because you need that space. You know, you need that space to really allow yourself to go into that deep shithole that is trauma, <laughs> you know. What was your understanding of your trauma when you moved there? Oh, my God. Absolutely none. Really? Like, I was toxic positivity on a stick. Mm. I was like, I was never angry. I was never sad. I was never upset. Always positive. Super duper positive about the world. Everything's great. I'm loving life and loving you. And let's all love each other. And you want to One of those. Yep. You can't stand those people. Yeah, I can't stand them now either because... You know, I can see now, obviously, what that really meant for me. But way, the way my trauma really showed up, to be honest, was, and, and I didn't understand it as a trauma symptom, but definitely severe codependence with my husband, first mm-hmm. of all. Mm-hmm. And secondly, um, severe um, severe eating, eating disorder. Like I didn't have bulimia or anorexia, but I would think about food all day long I would wake up in the morning and I would just look at myself in the mirror and just just pinch my stomach and Mm -hmm. just have that real deep self-loathing deep self-hatred and everyone was like oh yeah but everyone like eats too much and I was like no but there's something wrong with me like I used to get suicidal if I um, went on diets I get suicidal if I couldn't eat um just it was just my whole entire world was what I was going to eat next or how I can lose weight. That's all mm. that went through my head all day, every day. There was very little room for anything else. And no one ever knew that. And like no one ever knew. And I honestly didn't even know how much that affected me. I didn't know how deep my self-hatred and my self-loathing was because I was toxic positivity. Um, and until I started trying to have babies and, um, you know, my first, my first time I got pregnant, I was binging and binging and then I would run to try and run off how much I'd eaten and then I'd lost the baby and I was you know at that point I was like there's something I need to I need to deal with this there's you know I can't keep going this way and that really kind of was the catalyst sending me on an internal journey I listened to this guy actually um I can't remember what his name was Anyways, but he was the first person I ever heard make a mention to the correlation between our weight um, and eating disorders or, you know, just having weight on and not being able to lose weight and sexual abuse. Mm. And I remember listening to that and going, but I wasn't sexually abused, was I? Nah, no, I wasn't. I'd remember. Nah. Mm. But something just really hit with me, you know, and I was like, could my all of this eating stuff be something deeper um and so that's when I really started kind of delving deeper into you know why I eat and that was really hard you know like Mm -hmm. 
I started on, I started doing inner child work actually. Um, Had you done any therapy prior to this? No, nothing. No. And so I was so, you know, I was, and I was so disconnected from my body, so disconnected from my emotions, but I didn't even know any of that though. You know, I had no awareness of any of that. And to be honest, it was kind of only really when I started doing inner child work that, um, and I was given these exercises to, you know, look into my, um, write down my memories and stuff that I really started kind of putting things together of, I don't have any memories, you know, I have massive chunks of my life that, um, that were non-existent. But I think from that space of just trying to connect with the little Alwyn that I was, um, that gave me enough strength to heal some of the wounds, if nothing else, even without the memories at that point. What did that look like? So essentially, I would just kind of every evening, I would write down, try and write down anything that came to mind. And yeah, I just essentially got to this, you know, I, I remember um, someone saying to me about asking your inner child or just listening for any song that comes up and seeing what that song means to you. And I thought this was, I thought it was batshit crazy. I was like, you know, what are they, who am I talking to? You know, like um, talking to an inner child in me, it just sounded bananas, but I was desperate for a baby. And so I said, fuck it, I'll give it a go. And I remember the song from Matilda came on. Do you remember Matilda? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just was like, okay, what does that mean to me? And when I thought about Matilda, I just thought of loneliness, mm. deep, deep, always being on her own. And it really opened up something within me. I was like, it just really dawned on me that I really felt lonely my whole entire childhood, really deeply lonely. Um, and at that point, I kind of was like, put it down to the fact that I was the youngest of six kids. And so maybe I just felt lost in the crowd. But it was really enough for me to kind of connect with that lonely part of me and try and just feel the love for her. And I I remember a turning point coming because I remember sitting in my sitting room one day and my greatest fear was losing my husband. You know, I was my greatest fear. Um, What I didn't know at the time was I had um, I decided when I met my husband, I was 19 and um and I was leaving at home previous to that. And that's where all my trauma and my abuse happened. And when I met my husband, I wasn't aware of it, but I made a decision right there. And then that if I was going to, you know, invest myself into this relationship, you know, if he ever broke up with me, I decided I would kill myself because mm. I was never going to that house, mm. you know? And so my ego, my whole entire body, my mind, my soul was like, we have to latch on to him so tightly because if he breaks up with us, we're going to die. And so every time we'd have a fight, I would be crazy. You know, I would just lose it. Psychotic. I would change from this calm, normal person into a raging psycho and wanting to kill myself, you know? And so I really recognized, you know, I got to the point where I was working with my inner child that, you know, she was like, I was like, I don't give a fuck if we lose Rob or if we lose my family or if we lose anyone. I don't give a shit about anyone anymore. As long as you are loved, as long as you know that you are worthy. If Rob can't deal with who we are at our core, not this happy, always happy, always pleasing everyone type of person, but who I was at my core, then I prefer he not be in my life. 
You know, I prefer anyone to not be in my life. I'm sick of feeling this way. And so it took for me to choose that little girl within me and really shifted the trajectory of my healing because in choosing me, she really trusted that, okay, you know, I had her back and that no matter what happened, I wasn't going to kill myself, you know? And that was a, 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 that really gave me the permission to, I guess, open up Pandora's box a little bit more. So you mentioned before we started officially recording, how the repressed memories came up for you and your sister. Mm. Was it, so was this something that you did together? Like this was something like, it was like a joint experience or you guys were kind of going through your own separate things or what? Yeah, it was pretty fascinating. We were going through our own separate things. My sister, you know, or both of our symptoms very interestingly were, you know, I would have been high functioning, you know, like very much had everything. Like I had my husband, I had my first baby at that point. Um, just kind of well-rounded, got it together. Um, no traumatic symptoms necessarily, like I didn't have nightmares. And my sister, she didn't know it at the time. She didn't know what it was called, but she had, she would have night terrors every single night, her whole life. Like she was crippled with um nightmares um nighters catastrophic is she thinking. the you said you're one of six so is she then she's the next one yes the next youngest yes and um and so she always suffered she suffered for such a long time very much i guess on a more noticeable scale you know um and so anyway she'd been working on trying to deal with what these problems were and she you know she was she said in the the podcast we did a podcast on or repressed memories coming up and it's a whole like hour and a half on it if anyone wants to go and get more details in case I miss something in this that's the episode or story but I'll um, put it in the show notes yeah but so she was trying to get help um in any way she she could for the nightmares and she was like, she remembered one person saying, um, you know, do you suffer from anxiety or anything? She's like, no, not at all. Just we have no awareness, really, you know. But anyway, she got to the point where she started researching MDMA. Do you know MDMA? Mm -hmm. They were doing it for the trials. So she started looking um, at MDMA and she was for like, depression you know, or for trauma? For trauma. Because mm -hmm. she was looking at it being used for PTSD. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I can't. I need help with this. I don't know how to do this. I wonder would it work, you know? And we're both of us are very much like at this point, trust whatever, trust the universe, trust that they'll bring it to us. Mm -hmm. And then both her and I never did drugs in our whole entire life. Like we were never into drugs. I drank. She didn't really. Um, but she had said, you know what? Okay, if I meant to do MDMA, well, it'll just come across my path and it'll feel right. And she said uh, two weeks later, she was at a party, um, which she wouldn't normally go to parties or anything. She was at a party and um, a workmate had come up and said, oh, do you want some MDMA? And she was like, um, I don't want it now for partying, but I would like it for healing. Um, and so that kind of started it. She <laughs> did MDMA for the use of therapy, which if anyone isn't aware, the difference essentially is when you're in the the intention, having the space, you're in a safe space, it has to be dark. And, you know, the intention is for healing. It actually creates a massively different response to when you actually use it for partying, mm -hmm. you know. Um, 
And so she did it that first time and or I think it was the second time when she had done it. But she had remembered um, she'd always had a memory of being brought to this place, this house. But she would always the memory would cut off, you know, and so that memory completed um, and she remembered that abuse, you know, and, you know, it made a lot of sense. And it was kind of, you know, it was a bit liberating in the sense that, OK, this I understand now this is what's wrong, you know. And then my at the same time, I was doing well. I was a health and life coach at that point myself and I was doing good. But I was ended up being um, going on a cruise with my husband and I was in a good space at this point. But I'd had a few drinks, a good few drinks. And I had this complete flip out, like where I was in the room telling him that I couldn't live anymore. I needed to kill myself. I needed to jump off the side of the boat just out of nowhere, you know. And I had done so much work on myself at this point that I was like, there's something not right here. Like, I should not be this suicidal in this point in my life when I'm in this good a space you know there's something just not clicking but packed it up anyways and I said I'll deal with it later and my sister had said to me one of the days um I was looking at you know what direction I take my work and she had said you know what like a lot of people are doing you know microdosing and using MDMA and stuff like that for um you know getting that creative output why don't you try it and I was like no hate drugs can't deal it with it I hate being out of control um but she was like no you know it's different so anyways tried it and I also had a memory come up again it was a memory I had but if it was the memory would play but then it would cut off and I didn't remember anything beyond that point and so essentially I had the complete um understanding and awareness come of that I was sexually abused you know the issue was was that these were two different places. My sister was abused mm. by this, some people. I was abused by other people, you know? And did you have a, was it just an awareness or did you have like a flashback? No. So it was more, so when I was lying in the bed, when I, when I took the MDMA, what happened was I got the symptoms. I know, I know it now to be PTSD. I always had these symptoms, but I didn't know what it was. I thought I was just insane. Like I thought I was, there was just something wrong with me. And if I told anyone, they would lock me in a mental asylum. But um, I had the symptoms of PTSD come on. And when I lay in the bed, I could feel someone on top of me. And they were, it was like they were abusing me. It was, you know, it was like I was reliving it in my body, but I didn't see the vision or the visual of it actually happening, you know. Um, but I saw the, you know, the same thing. The memory replayed, and then I got all the sensations of essentially the abuse, and um, that was kind of the complete picture of it. And this, honestly, for me, it was again. I felt liberated. I felt quite free in the fact that I was like, finally, I've. I knew that there was something not right. Like I knew I didn't feel right in my body. I've always felt just there was something wrong. But what happened then was, you know, my sister and I just kind of started trying to heal that, heal each of our individual kind of uh, memories of abuse. But for me, I just was like, there's not, there's something not right here. Like 
you were abused by these people. I was abused by someone else. And or family just it wasn't clicking for me. There was something there was a missing piece of the puzzle that that wasn't um, mm-hmm. slotting into place, you know. Mm-hmm. And so for the following year, the year after that, how my repressed memories kind of started to come up was um, in different ways, like uh, dreams. Like I had always had dreams of kind of a sexual nature regarding my dad and my sister did too. We just didn't talk about it. Um, And just different things. Like I had a dream, a very specific dream one day, um, essentially just kind of where I stand up to my dad about the abuse. And the next day I was like, we were abused, dad abuses, that's it. I know that this happened, but my sister wasn't able to take it in. And so she was like, you know, it might have been just a dream or whatever. And I was like, just, I feel like this really happened. So I buried it. And then she was up at work um, and essentially she just got kind of lots of like flashbacks and memories and stuff. And she came down and she was like, yeah, dad abused us, you know. And so at that point, then both of us were very much aware, Okay, this happened. Dad abused us. But what the fuck is with the other people? You know, what's with the other people that abused us? Like, could we be that unlucky? You know, um, and both of us mm. decided then we're going to do MDMA um, again together. So we hadn't done it since that first time. And this was a year later. And we said we were going to do the MDMA together and just really try and have that intention of figuring out what the fuck happened, you know? And I, yeah, that was, and then in that MDMA session, I remembered, um, I remembered being there, my dad, my dad being paid money um, for us to be taken away, sexually abused. And from there on, then I just, myself and my sister just had, um, I had a pretty much psychotic break. Um, I had two young kids at the time, uh, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And it just, it was just too much. It was really, what I recognize now is, you know, the way that my consciousness showed me was like, it was like two buses, the past self, the the part of me that I buried with all the trauma and the abuse and everything, and the current self, the going on with everyday life self, both just came crashing into each other. And it just showed me like all of my like, neuro my circuits in my brain just started to hardwire just started to fucking snap because I couldn't I had always existed with one part of me to the front so it was either me talking to you right now the adult self the going on everyday life self the self who didn't have any conscious awareness of what happened to me in the past or it was the traumatized child self that was at the front but both of them parts never met. Mm. So during the day, I was the going on with everyday life self. That part wasn't um, aware of mm. the other part of me that was being abused at nighttime. You know, that kind of way. And those two parts could not meet because of what happened to me. That psychotic break that I had was the result of these two parts and their conflicting realities literally just coming like two fucking trains crashing into each other and exploding. When was this? 
So that was January of 2020, I think. Wow. Yeah. What was it like going through this with your sister? Oh, you know what? I, I wouldn't have survived if, if I didn't have my sister. I would not have survived because I really struggled to believe it. Like I was like, I can't believe it. I can't. This, this can't have happened. Um, I was just really struggling with it all. And she was the one that was able to be like, Alwyn, this happened. You know, I'm here with you. We're going to deal with it. Um, we had both very different coping mechanisms. My coping mechanism was the person who's lit on fire and everyone wants to put her out. Whereas my sister was the coping mechanism of just literally dead on the outside. It looks like it didn't affect her at all. Whereas inside she was like falling into this abyss, deep hole that no one ever saw, you know? And so everyone thought that she was doing really well. And I was the one that was struggling. Whereas in actual fact, she was struggling just as much as me, but we just had different coping mechanisms, different um, trauma symptoms, you know, but having her honestly, like discussing it, like we, I, I have four siblings, four brothers and, um, and they couldn't believe it, which I, which I completely understand. You know, I really do understand that. Like, you know, my dad is like pillar of society, nicest person you'll ever meet you know, that type of person that would never do anything to harm a snail kind of person, the typical pedophiles. Um, and they couldn't accept mm. it, which, which is understandable, but, but it was really hard. It was really hard to not have them accept it. And they wanted to, like they wanted, they really tried, like they really gave us the space to, to try and understand it. You know, I don't hold it against my brothers at all, but you know, I, I love my brothers and I really just wanted them. So honestly, I probably would have buried it all. And I would have just said, Oh, it must've been some slip of a psycho psychotic fucking episode never happened because I would have wanted my brothers in my life, you know, but having Jackie there, we were able to kind of anchor each other. And if one of us kind of had those times where we just couldn't believe it or where we were like, I just can't do this. The other one was strong. We were strong for each other, you know? And I really like my heart goes out to anyone who doesn't have someone because to do it on your own is fucking torture. What, what did you remember about your childhood? Like prior to that, like how would you have described it to somebody? <laughs> this is the, this is the funniest part because, and it's not funny, but it's, it's amazing more so how, how we adapt and create narratives and stories to survive. I, me and my sister, our narrative was, we had a great childhood, really happy, loving parents. Yeah, it was just, we were like the Waltons. That was the say, sentence and the, that was what we told everyone, you know. And, you know, the reality is, is we believe that. We believe that because we had to believe it. We had mm -hmm. to believe that that was the truth because believing anything else was was, painful. was impossible it was just too painful and so what I remembered the way I kind of when I talk to people now about suppressed memories and about abuse the way that I um discuss it now is I say to people go through your life and look at you know your years like try and indicate how many years of memory do you have 
Do you remember your first class? Do you remember school? Do you remember home? Do you remember your bedroom? Do you remember your um, aunt's house? Do you remember your uncle's house? Do you remember your friends that you had? You know, so going through all of these things, go through the years. How many years do you have? Do you have memories from all of your years? And if you have years where there's blanks, that's a concern. And not necessarily that there's sexual abuse or anything like that, but there was definitely some type of traumatic event that caused you to pack it up and store it in the subconscious. And for me, when I started to look at the years, I didn't. So we remember, I remembered the things I did remember was I remember like maybe two days in my sixth class when I was about 11. I remembered um, being outside my house. Didn't really necessarily remember my bedroom too much. Hmm. Um, You know, I didn't really remember secondary school. Didn't remember friends. Like, and, and this is when you get into it, right? When you really start unpacking it, it's pretty scary because I actually talked to um, an old friend of mine one day, you know, and the, this is the thing. I would avoid everyone from my past. I would avo- avoid all the friends that I used to have because I felt like they knew more about me than I knew about me. Hmm. And so when I started healing, I kind of got the courage to ask an old friend of mine. I said, I hope you don't mind, but I'd love you to help me. I know that we were friends, but I don't know how friendly were we. Were we? I want to know how bad my memory is or how much I blocked out. And I was like, I remember your mom and I remember the street that your house was on. And I remember we were friends, but I don't know how close we were. She wrote back an email. She we would go, she was like, you used to come to my house nearly every day. We walked to school every day to pretty much together. You, we sat beside each other. And we used to play this game where we would pretend like our, our pencils were people. Um, <laughs> and we did kickboxing together for two years. I had no recollection of any of it. And so um. it's, but I had no awareness that I had no recollection. So what happens is, and I, and the same with my husband, because, you know, when I was starting, my husband was starting this work with me or after I started the work, my husband started healing as well. And he said, yeah, but I've lots of memories. And I was like, okay, tell me them. So what happens is we pick out some highlight reels and we'll keep on replaying the highlight reels again and again to show ourselves that we've lots of memories. But when you actually unpack them and try and actually look at how much memory you have from your childhood, you know, do you remember your parents ever getting angry, sad, any emotions? A lot of the time we'd be like, no, my my mom was happy all the time. No, no mom is ever happy all the time, you know, or there's always blocks. There's always if you had a childhood that was balanced, you're going to be able to remember the ups and downs of childhoods, not just the highlight reel of everything that was good. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how the mind works. It is fascinating. And I love it. Like I've, you know, it's been, it's three years now. Like what are we in 2023? Three years since the depths of the memories came up for me. And I'm telling you, like, surviving that was I 
in fucking an impossible task, you know. But what I'll say is I learned so much about everything. I learned so much about the consciousness, about emotional regulation, about trauma, about repressed memories. And I learned it all myself, not from books necessarily. I do read a lot of books and stuff and I listen to podcasts. But most of the what I learned was through walking through hell myself, mm-hmm. you know, really understanding from the deepest level what was going on with me, why my brain had to do what it had to do, why the parts of me exist the way that they exist, um, and learning how to just navigate life again beyond the depths of trauma and shame and and I guess the biggest thing for me honestly was you know the kids obviously because my kids were the reason why I why I stayed around like you know if um if it wasn't for them I I wouldn't have I don't think I would have been able to to stay going through that pain because um yeah it was really really dark place and and I think what I'd love to say mainly is I think it was the darkest place for me because the person I was most afraid of wasn't anyone outside of me mm-hmm. the person I was most afraid of was the person the monster within me mm-hmm. you know I was so terrified of all of these parts of me that were just taking over my body all of these wounded children, all of these abused parts of me would hijack me, you know, like I would go from being a normal adult functioning in this everyday life in 2020 to being a child who there's an abuser there, even though there's no one there, I would just, my body would react and I would literally be, my sister used to call it manic. Like she said, I used, used to come in and I was just manic running around the place. Like it was as if there was someone running after me. I just was, I was mental. I was insane. And that was my greatest fear was that I was insane. And here I was typically, essentially insane, but I wasn't. I was just trying to navigate the depths of the pain that was resurfacing in my body. And I had no tools or no capacity to do that, to work with that, to navigate that in a safe way. So talk about some pivotal moments in your healing. Let's see. It's amazing because like, I can feel my body shaking, you know? Mm-hmm. I have to ground myself a bit. My parts are, you know, they're... They're finding walking down memory lane a little bit hard today, but that's mm. okay. You know, it's, it's never easy, these things. And, but I feel like always healing. Mm-hmm. Pivotal moments. First pivotal moment, I would say, would be um, I was in the trampoline with my two sons and I felt completely dead inside. And... I just thought to myself, I was like, I can't do this. I have to kill myself. I have to do it. I can't. I can't do this. I can't be a mother to these kids. And I'm afraid that I'm going to hurt them. 
And so I was like, I have to kill myself. But do you know when people are put into your life for a reason? I had a client two years earlier and her mom had killed herself. And I remember in that moment in the trampoline, I remember that girl across from me and how broken hearted she was that her mother killed herself. Mm. She could have dealt with anything if her mom just stayed around, you know. And so I remembered that in that moment in the trampoline. And I was like, no, no, I make a decision right here, right now, that no matter how hard this gets, that I will not kill myself. I will continue on, even if I'm the worst fucking mother in the world. And even if I'm crawling through every single day, depressed and angry and in pain, I will do it with every single day being an intention that I would be a better mom today than I was yesterday. And I, if I can't give them anything more than that, you know, it's all I have to give. And even though I know that this will probably get worse, I'm going to choose that now, you know, before it gets worse. And I'm telling you, it got a lot worse after that. And I had to, that, that promise that I made became my anchor because in those times where I was like, I just, I just saw how much my boys were hurting and it's so much easier to logically kind of, you know, make that, make that uh, conclusion that they'd be better off without you, you know, that everyone would be better off without the suffering that I brought into the house that I was bringing into every single day that we existed. But because of that promise I made myself, it gave me the strength and the courage to really recognize that, you know, it's not an option anymore. Out is not an option. Another pivotal moment for me was a really important thing for me and for every single person that's healing, whether that's relationships or being a a mother or father, whatever that may be. I realized that there was moments when I was a fucking monster, when I was, when I could see the fear and the terror in my kids' eyes. And I was not the mom that I wanted to be, not the person that I wanted to be. And I remember doing something. I don't know whether I would just get aggressive with my son and I could see how afraid he was. Mm-hmm. And I remember wanting to shame myself. You're fucking shit. You're nothing. You're worthless. You're scum. And the pivotal moment came when I recognized that that's what creates the monster within me. It's the little child within me. The part of me is wounded. She doesn't want to hurt my kids. She's just in pain. And so the pivotal moment for me became when I realized that the only way to heal was to love myself at my worst, Mm. even if that worst is pretty shit. But the more that I could love myself in the moments when I was at my absolute worst, when I deserved forgiveness the least was when I needed to give it to myself the most. When I deserved compassion the least was the time I needed to love myself the most. And they became the most healing moments in my in my healing um, journey. The times when I fucked up the most became the most pivotal moments because in finding the ability to um, 
hold and love that part of me that really was just hurting. I didn't want to hurt my kids. Never. No one wants to hurt their kids. No one wants to hurt anyone. All we are is wounded. Each of us are just wounded, replaying some trauma that was in the past in this present moment. And in that moment, my kids were my abusers. It's not my fault that I saw them as my abusers, you know, but Mm. it was it was that reactivity. So the pivotal moment was the more that I wanted to hate myself and shame myself became the moments that I that I chose to love myself. And and they really became catapults for my healing Um, and the most transformative moments. Um, other pivotal moments, choosing me so that again, my husband, my trauma became a mirror for my husband's trauma. And, uh, yeah, he began to project his anger and his helplessness onto me, you know, because I was reflecting a lot of things that he didn't want to recognize or acknowledge within himself. Mm. And I could have seen it and continued to see myself as, well, I'm fucked up. No wonder he's, you know, angry at me. I'm a waster. I'm a loser. I'm broken, you know. But I recognized and I realized that I couldn't heal if he, if I was literally drowning and he was pouring more water on top of me. You know, I needed to survive. I needed to get through for the kids. And he wasn't helping. Mm. And so choosing me. And in that, I meant... I mean, saying to him that, you know, I recognize that I don't know what's going on with you, but I know you're struggling and I can't keep on being your emotional punch bag. Mm. I'm struggling to keep my head afloat and I love you so much. But if you can't work on you and take responsibility for your healing, then we have to separate. Like we can't keep doing this. And I can't see you self-destruct because at that point, I could see he was starting to self-destruct and it was just too much. I just, I couldn't do that. And, you know, I'm really grateful because we could have continued on in that relationship of toxicity where he wasn't taking responsibility for his shit. And we were blaming all of the stuff on my trauma because that would have been easy. I've, I just had so much fucking memories of abuse come up. It would be easy to see myself as the problem in all of this. But I just was able to recognize that, no, I deserve better than this. I deserve better than someone putting their stuff on top of me when I'm already trying to swim and kick my feet as hard as possible to keep my head above water. And that was the greatest thing ever because, you know, I I understood that my husband, he could have easily just turned around, walked away and said, she's a basket case. You know, I can't live with that. He could have easily done it. Many people would have done that because I was a wreck. But he used it as an opportunity to say, okay, maybe there is something that I need to heal. Maybe I need to do this. And so he then also did MDMA, um, which my husband now, he, he wouldn't even drink caffeine. He's that healthy. No caffeine, no drugs, no cigarettes. He was like, the idea of doing MDMA it was just unbelievable but um he wouldn't see a psychologist pure man typical and so he said okay I'll, I'll do the MDMA I was shocked 
And he did that. And that literally just sprung him open. He realized how much grief and how much pain he had inside of him. And that started him on his healing journey. And now, fuck, he's amazing. Like he is, he's my inspiration. Like the, the way that he's dealt with every bit of trauma, he's literally just faced it, dove into it. And he just reflects on everything, even in parenting now, you know, he is now looking at how he wants to be as a father and how he doesn't want to pass his generational wounds onto our kids. And that's all from me choosing to stand up for me. I didn't try and change him. I had no interest in changing him because I can't get someone else outside of me to change. I can only say what I deserve, what I'm willing to take and hope that they have the strength and the courage to do what they need to do for us to move forward together. And thankfully for my husband and for me, he did that because we're closer now than we could ever have been. Um, and that's thanks to this healing journey. That's beautiful. Mm. I want to circle back to what you were saying about um, <clears throat> like loving yourself in those moments when you needed it the most. How were you able to cultivate that? What did that look like? So, okay, so example, right? I would... I would be triggered by something. And when I would get triggered, um, you know, I know we talked about it when the, in the uh -huh. podcast that I, uh -huh. when I would get triggered, I wouldn't be in control of my body. So I would essentially kind of be in the back. It was like I was in the back of my consciousness uh -huh. and I was watching this person just lose it. Like she was angry and she was aggressive and, um, and I was trying to tell her to stop. Like I was trying to tell myself, he's only a child. He's not your abuser. Stop, stop, mm. stop. I just couldn't. I mm. couldn't stop my hand. I couldn't stop myself. And that's where the fear came in, obviously, that this monster needs to be caged and whatever. So I would do that. I would terrify him for whatever way I would, whatever would happen. And so what happens, what would happen then is I would have all the grief all the shame, all the disgust, kind of when I would wake up, you know, you wake up after you do something really shameful. It's like, you're like, what the fuck did I do? Or, you know, how did I do that or whatever? And so I would kind of nearly come to the trigger would pass and I would be flooded with shame and disgust mm. and self-hatred of what I had just done. And so what I would do in that moment would be, okay, I'll win. We're going to just deal with this. It's going to be okay. So I first of all, go to my son and I would say, I'm really sorry, darling. I'm really sorry. I know that I scared you and I'm really working hard on healing my, the pain in my heart. But sometimes the pain comes out in anger and I take that anger out on you. It's not your fault. So firstly, I'll always repair my son and just try and help him understand that this is nothing to do with him, everything to do with me. Um, and then I would literally just kind of come into a space. I would go into my room or whatever. And when I would feel all of the thoughts, you're disgusting, you're shit, you're nothing, you should die. I would talk back to the thoughts and say, I'm going to love you anyways. You're mm -hmm. just hurting. You didn't mean to hurt him. This isn't your fault. I'm sorry that you did that. And I'm, I know that it's not great. And I don't want to be hurting him either. But you are hurting you didn't want to do this. So essentially, it's kind of just seeing the best in myself. When I, when, I, when I so desperately want to see the worst in myself, when I so desperately want to just go into that hole. 
because the main thing actually that I recognize and I realized was when I would go into my room and shame myself and hate myself, what would happen is I would shut my son out. I would block him out. So he already had the traumatic event happen where I would lose my shit with him. Then I would actually make him suffer more because of the shame that I was feeling. I would lock myself down. And by locking myself down, I would lock him out. And he would feel even more abandoned and rejected. I thought I was doing a great thing by, you know, whipping myself, shaming myself. I'll make myself better by shaming myself. I'll make myself be a better mother by whipping myself, by telling myself how shit I am. So I'll do it better next time. But I recognize that that never works. Mm-hmm. All that does is put myself deeper in a hole. Mm-hmm. So every time that I did that, I would say, I'm not going to close my heart. I'm not going to lock myself down. I'm going to feel this pain. And generally, you know, when I would say that to this part of me, I love you. I, you didn't mean to hurt him. It's not your fault. You're just in pain. I would just wail. I would feel emotions that I couldn't access in any therapy session. You know, those moments of failure where I lost it the most became the moments of of most healing because when I could find that love and compassion for these parts of me that were so unlovable, so shit, so shameful, that would literally break me down to just grieve so intensely, um, so much pain. And it also meant I actually kept my heart open to my son, that I, I wasn't closing myself off thinking that that's the best way to keep him safe. No, the best way is to forgive myself, love myself so that we can be a better version of ourselves tomorrow. And also the other thing that I just, and I say to my clients and I say in the group and everything all the time, shit things are going to happen. We're going to fuck up. But you know what? Use it. Make the most of the fuck ups. Mm -hmm. Because Every time we fuck up, right, if we decide to shame ourselves for it, we're not learning anything from it. We're not healing from it. We're not going to be any better the next time that our kid does that exact same thing. So if you're going to fuck up and you're going to do something that you seriously regret, at least make it count. And what I mean is, you know, if if you shout at your child and say that you hate, hate her and she's disgusting and she's worthless or whatever obviously that's pretty intense but if you (laughs) tell your child that you hate her you know it's done the damage is done but use it use the the grief the pain use whatever it is that is coming up in you to let it all out to use it as an anchor point like the way I see it is like watching a sad movie anchor in that sadness allow yourself to grieve it get it out of you you know So just feel it like I would actually replay the event in my head again and again and again and again until all of the pain was bled out of me, until all of the tears dried up, until all of the screaming stopped. I would keep on repeating it, not to punish myself, but to help myself feel the pain and let that out. Mm. Other than correction in the moment, like talking to your son and, and, and letting him know that it's not about him. Have there been like subsequent, I mean, obviously they're so young. So 
have there been subsequent, I mean, obviously it's just like moving forward and, you know, being the best mom that you can be to show up, but it's, um, have there been any conversations other than that? Like when it's not been in the moment? Oh yeah. We talk about it all the time. You know, like I, you know, for me, it's really interesting because the boys had a really difficult time with me. Like it was really traumatic and it was more traumatic I don't believe nearly necessarily that my actions were as traumatic as the inconsistency of my parenting. Mm, mm-hmm. I was the the I think the most terrifying thing for children is to never is know not, what they're going to get. Exactly. That's yeah. the most terrifying part. And yeah. so it was the inconsistency that they got. Uh, is mom going to be angry at me today for spilling the milk or is she going to be the nice mom? You know, the same way with me, like there was a good mom and there was a bad mom. They had a good mom and a bad mom. And so they couldn't live. They couldn't feel safe to play or enjoy themselves or let their nervous system relax because they were constantly in a hypervigilant state wondering what state is mom in at this moment? If what's going to tip her over the edge, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you're in that trauma response, anything can tip her over the edge. It's very inconsistent. It's very painful for children, you know? And so, you know, for me, um, there's lots of things. The main thing that I uh, focus on for myself and I and I focus on teaching and, and spreading the message is focus less on your kids, focus only on you, because my kids had a lot of like behavioral issues initially, my youngest, my young oldest son. And that's kind of a part of the healing for me was I was trying to get him help. I was like, there's mm. something wrong with him like there's something wrong with he's like his reactions and he's just really like I was like does he have oppositional defiance disorder yada yada but what I recognized was when we as adults and when we as parents begin to heal the trauma within us it creates that ripple effect and so all I began to do was I really stopped taking all of the attention off the kids you know I literally did not focus on them at all. I was like, this is all about me. I put all of the money into me, all of the, you know, I didn't buy them clothes. I bought all of my money was into my healing, my psychology, everything that I needed to do to be a better version of me for them. Because what happened was as time went on and I became safer within my own body, became more healed they then felt safer to open up and deal with the pain that they had stored as a child during those traumatic events with me. So kids, I don't believe, need as much external therapy as they do just a safe, loving, present parent. Mm. And so the more that I healed the pain and the wounds and the sadness and the grief within me, the more that I became a safe mom, and also I would communicate that to them. So I would talk about, you know, um, um, I would talk even in times when I wasn't triggered. You know, I'd say sometimes, you know, I, I would talk also sometimes about my childhood. I would say, you know, I had a really a sad childhood, you know, like I was really sad and, and bad things happened um, and I've got a really sad heart. And when people have sad hearts, sometimes they let they use they get really angry. And sometimes they take that anger out on people around them. And so sometimes I took my anger out on you. Um, and honestly, the, the things that my kids have said over the years is amazing. Just like just random observations, you know, um, like one time my son had said, um, he had said something about like, 
you know, something about the two mommies. You know, he was like, mm. I like it when you're here, mommy, but I don't like it when the other mommy's here, the one that gets angry. But he was able to distinguish that there was two. And so, you know, in those moments, again, teachable moments. And I was like, I know that you're afraid of the angry mommy. And I'm really working with her so that she feels safe. But she just has a sad heart and it's not your fault. So it's very much about all those conversations and about when they have sad hearts and when they're angry, really just consistently opening up the conversations um, about emotions, about how we're feeling, about um, everything that we're experiencing in each and every moment. Um, that's really it. But but the one thing I was going to say is, you know, they've had a really tough time with me, but I'm delighted. They're fucking, they're, they're amazing kids. Mm-hmm. You know, the resilience and the emotional regulation and the emotional awareness and the capacity to see in others their pain and their happiness, they're so much more aware as children than other children would be because they've seen me fall apart they've had those conversations we've had those conversations we talk about it and so I feel like they've such a more a a greater wide capacity to recognize their own pain and their own sadness and find resolution to that because we've had those opportunities to talk about it and discuss it and also they're them them as siblings because initially like when I was going through the worst part of my trauma um you know they fought all of the time they fought constantly and what I recognized it was because they didn't feel safe they didn't feel safe with me and so they couldn't take their anger out on me because I was so unstable and so they fought each other they took the anger out on each other in order to try and get rid of that nervous energy you know And once I started to become safer and hold space for them, they were able to build so much more beautiful and safer bonds between them, you know? So I feel like ultimately everything just is a ripple effect from us as parents doing the work. Um, And as I said in the, the podcast with Janet Lansbury, the first podcast I did, you know, I, I really hated my son, like my oldest, like, I just had this visceral hate for him. Mm. And and I was like, I can't say that. Like, moms don't hate their kids. Like, that's really bad, you know? And I felt such shame over it. And I wanted to love him so badly. But there was just this, the stronger part of me just hated him, hated his behaviors, hated all of it. And I came to that awareness one day when I was looking at him that, It wasn't him that I hated. It was me. You know, I hated everything I saw in him, his innocence, his vulnerability, his his anger. All I was looking at, I wasn't even seeing my son. I was seeing me. I was seeing me as a little girl and I fucking hated her. I hated her for her vulnerability. I hated her for for her helplessness. I hated her for being abused, you know. It's all her fault. If she just was better, if she was more lovable, then no one would have done all these bad things to her, you know? And so it wasn't that I couldn't love my beautiful son. It was I couldn't love myself. And so that is, you know, they say you can't love another person until you love yourself. And I know some people think that that's 
that's not relevant. But I really do feel like, especially when you've got kids, um, if they mirror the parts of you that hate, you can't love in them what you can't love within yourself. Did you feel, because I, you know, I feel, as I've said to you before, like as a mother, you know, I think that you're owning up and saying things that most would be way too ashamed to say. And did you feel like that? Did you have a moment where you're like, you feel like that's part of your calling that like you need to be a voice to this? Yeah. Yeah. Because the, it's funny, I'm, I'm getting very emotional now, actually. The hardest part of my healing, fucking hardest part, was I remember sitting outside and I remember thinking, I'm too afraid to get help mm. because I'm afraid they're going to take my, they're going to shame me. Mm-hmm. They're going to take my kids away from me. Mm-hmm. And I'm too afraid not to get help in case I kill them or in case I hurt them badly. Obviously, I mean, kill. I, I, I was never at that point. Well, mm-hmm. fuck it. I hope not. But I mean, like, you know, I was afraid that I was really going to harm them really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I obviously I did really consider killing all of us in the car driving into a wall, you know. Um, and it was in those moments. I remember one moment specifically, I guess you were you were talking about those pivotal moments. And I remember being outside and and thinking, I'm too afraid to get help. I'm too afraid to tell anyone what I'm experiencing. And I'm too afraid not to, you know, and I recognize because of all the work I had done on myself prior to that, you know, I'd become a health and life coach at that point. I realized in that moment, this isn't fair. This isn't good. I can't be the only mom who's experiencing this. And if I can just share my message and share how painful this was and all of the shame that I felt and all of the fear that I, that I thought my kids would be taken away from me. If I can share that and help other moms see that they're not alone and that there's only a wounded little child within them and that don't be afraid to get help, you know, then it'll be worth it, you know? So definitely, it definitely was a part of my calling and is a part of my calling for sure. Um, And that's really, you know, you say you have people that are not judgmental, but I feel like they say that they're not judgmental. And I give this, I give this um, example. Okay, so we went to we went camping, me and the boys and a group of people, and there was these this couple, this uh, family behind us camping, and the child was crying a lot and shouting a lot and just quite you know dysregulated, you know, um, and during the night the whole campsite was quiet and this kid was, was crying a lot. And eventually you could hear the mom and she was screaming at her. And eventually you heard this real smack, you know, real Mm. loud smack. Mm. And the whole place could hear it. It was so quiet, you know? And the next day I got up and in my group, I was the only one with kids and they were all, all of them were kind of whispering. I could see the whole campsite was whispering about this family, you know, um, all speculating what happened. Um, and my one of the girls had come up to me in our group and was like, you know, how do you feel about it? Like you have kids. And I was like, I feel really fucking sad. I feel, I feel sad because 
this woman and her child, they're obviously struggling, yet all you can do is judge her. That's all. None of you have fucking even thought about what might be happening. You've all, you know, assumed I was her once. No one came to help me. Everyone judged me from the sidelines about everything I was doing wrong. And I was trying my best to heal. And so I decided I was going to go up to the mom. And so I went over to her when everyone was avoiding her. I went over to her and I said, hey, you know, I've heard I could hear your little daughter scream, whatever. And she was like, yeah, she said like she's, you know, she's and, and you know, the this family, like, I guess you would have classed them as maybe lower class, you know, like mm-hmm. they but but not, you know, not in um not in any trash. Not in like just, a severe way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just said to her, you know, like I, I could see your, your daughter was really struggling and, and I could see she was like on the defensive, you know, like, who are you? You're just picking your nose mm-hmm, in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was aware of that. I was aware that she might reject me, you know, if I went over and she had said that her daughter, like she might be just having like some heat rash or something because she just wouldn't stop screaming. And she got some, you know, so dysregulated, she didn't say dysregulated, but she just couldn't cope with it. And so I said to her, I was like, you know what, when my boys, when we go away, first of all, the first night is always difficult. The kids are out of their routine. It's really hard. What I do is I put the boys in the car, drive them around, put on the aircon and put some music on. Usually they fall asleep and I'll put them back into the tent or whatever. Um, and I had thought about that the night before going, why is she not bringing them in the car? And she had said to me, oh, OK, I didn't think about that, that I might try that, whatever. And I just said to her, I was like, you know what, like you know, it's really hard when you're in a new place and your child is like screaming. I know that must be really tough on you. I just want you to know I'm next door. So if you need anything at all, just come and get me. I'm here anytime, whatever. And, you know, this is the problem because a lot of people would say you're condoning her and her behavior by going over and showing compassion to someone who's abusing her child, right? But what I say is, when everyone was judging that woman, what was happening? Her inner child was freaking out, feeling more judged. When her inner child was feeling more judged, what was happening? She -hmm. was getting more reactive and more angry with her Mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. So the children suffer more when we judge from afar, when we don't show compassion. And anyways, later on, she came over to me and she was like teary. And she had said to me, I just want to say to you, thank you so much. You said, my husband, I talked to my husband about what you said. And we brought the kids for a drive in the car and they fell asleep. And she said they feel so safe in their car seats that they've stayed in there. And it's been an extra hour just talking to each other. And she was like, I just really was struggling last night. And I so much like anger come up and everything. And I took that opportunity to say, you know, we get really triggered by our kids. I get triggered all the time. But one of the things that I do is I work on my own triggers, my own regulation, because honestly, that's generally what tips us over the edge. We're already at here. And then we fucking something tips us over the edge. Something becomes even more heightened. And we just end up screaming and becoming the moms that we don't want to become. We've all been there. But just that's one of the things that I do is I just really try and monitor how I'm doing. Am I meeting my own needs? And it was just such a beautiful moment because that child was so much happier the rest of that weekend because her mom was able to show up for her 
by having someone see the best in her rather than seeing the worst in her, you know? And I put it up in the group and I had asked all of the people in the group, what would you have done? Honestly, what would you have done? And most of them had said that they would have just judged. They would have Mm -hmm. just been like, oh, she's a bad parent. She's a bad mother. And I just was really trying to point this out that by judging other moms, by judging people, all it does is create more pain and more suffering for their children. The more that we can try and bridge the gap and just have curiosity, have compassion, open up our hearts a little bit. That woman then got to have that ability to have a conversation with me about something that she might not have been aware about, that kids trigger us and that we have to work on ourselves and our needs in order to be the parents that we need to be. And who knows what that could have happened? You know, who knows what could have happened beyond that point? But I just, I really feel like, um, I feel like the, the judgments we're so um, we're so quick to judge other people and other parents. And from someone who was trying so hard to be, in inverted commas, a good parent, but mm-hmm. who felt like I was, sometimes when I was out there, I was a raging psycho. And in inverted commas. I love that. Yeah. Like, Is that no, what you guys, because we yeah. say, I've never heard that before. We go quote, like in quotes. Oh, really? I've never heard that before. Always say in inverted commas. <laughs> in inverted commas. Now we say, like, do you not call it like quotation marks? Yeah, I've never said quotation marks, but I guess that's right as so. <laughs> well. Yeah, no, I'm into it. Yeah, inverted. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I had to. But yeah, so so I think you know, you know, I guess that that's the the point I'm making is in my group. The whole reason mm-hmm. I I created the group was. People put up there, they put up things that generally people would shame them for or Mm -hmm. generally, you know, either or else they might put up something about their partner that everyone gets on this hate bandwagon of fuck him, leave Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. But I always bring it back to us as individuals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, he could be an asshole, but I don't give a shit about him. I give Mm -hmm. a shit about you. I give a shit about you and your inner child. Your kids could be fucking psychomaniacs, but I don't give a shit about your kids. I give a shit about you. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How are you showing up? Are you taking care of you? Because the more that we focus on everyone outside of us, the less than that we actually do what's really the most important part, which is tune into what it is that we are experiencing, what we're feeling, deal with us first. And then only from that space that we can really make the decisions and the choices that we need to make to create the life that we really want to live. And shaming people and shaming each other just doesn't work. No, it sure damn doesn't. I was thinking too, when you were talking about um, the inconsistency and like the, the, the two moms and just thinking about that with myself, with my mom, 85% of the time, she was like the best mom in the whole world, you know? And then when she was drunk, she was unavailable to me. Just thinking about how that, has impacted um just especially romantic relationships with like it's like that that hypervigilance right of just like my big fear is just like someone overnight without any sort of warning is gonna like abandon me right or like decide like they don't like me anymore and the other thing too is thinking about how that was reiterated when i was in the first grade i had this one friend her name was courtney and i remember like every day i'd walk into school 
And I never knew if today was going to be a day where she was going to be my friend or if today was going to be a day where she would be so mean to me that I would get into the car at the end of the day, like hysterically crying. And like, we, we even have like play dates after school. And then the next day she would just like treat me like shit. And I just think about it. And I don't know if it's normal or not, like for a, for like a six or seven year old, like if somebody's treating you like that, is it normal? Cause for me, it was just like, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, it's like, I don't know if like a healthy child would be like, well, screw this. I'm not going to like, they, I never know if they're going to be my friend or not. There's other people for me to be, you know, other kids for me to, to play with but um yeah god it sounds just like that. a familiarity of it that's familiar uh-huh. to you. having having someone be on and off that's familiar mm. you know that's whereas as you said a healthy a healthy child who understands what connection really is would be able to discern this doesn't feel good in my body this doesn't feel right to me and so no you're not you're not the person mm-hmm. for me you know but an interesting, an interesting actually um, thing about that is, you know, I notice that my son, he he loves kids. He loves boys. He loves um, other boys who are wild. He loves that the wilder they are, the crazier they are, the, the more he wants to be their friend, you know. And my sister was a bit concerned, you know. She was like, like, Alvin, like, you know, he's so calm and he's so quiet, whatever. And she's like, what is it he's looking for in them? And I was like, Do you know what? I feel like maybe he feels like he has to be too good all the time and he wants to be a bit more like them, a bit more free, a bit more wild. And he's associating with them to try and, you know, see what it would feel like to try out that wildness, to try out that, that, that crazy, that crazy hyper, you know, cause they're very um, hyperactive, you know? And you know, I, I think that there's so much that we can learn from that. And for me, I was like, you know what? I'm happy for him to go with that. Let him let him experiment with it. Let him go wild. Let him see how it feels in his body. And he can discern whether that's for him or not. But I think that that's where healthy children are able to discern what's good for them, what's not good for them. But whereas you're saying there, you know, when you meet the girl and she's one day, she's she's one way, another day, she's another way, you know, that is very much like that is familiar. It's like that give, that take, that show up, don't show up. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, yeah, that that inconsistency, as you said, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you want to talk a little bit about your community? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, I don't really feel like it's, you know, yeah, I... I, you know what? I'm one of these people. I just feel like a lone wolf, even though I've lots of people around me. I always just feel like I'm there, just kind of putting my soul out there. You know, I I I utilized with the group. Essentially, it was really about me just sharing everything, all of my pain, all of the things that people normally don't share. I would share. You know, shameful moments, embarrassing moments. And I wanted people to understand that the greatest healing comes when they can, you know, face the shame, you know, shame only exists in the darkness. And so if you can, you know, say the things that you're ashamed about, you'll get the most healing from that. And so the group essentially has just been about me sharing all of my pain. And it kind of then just create became a place where other people felt safer to share theirs. And 
I generally, where possible, will comment. Like I'll generally really try and get back to people and, and comment on people's um, posts and stuff because I have a different perspective from many people. Like, you know, I really, because of my own healing journey um, and the depths of um, trauma and the depths of shame that I experienced, you know, I generally kind of can have a bit of a different view on things. And so essentially the community is just, I just want people to have a safe space where they're not going to get shamed. And that's one thing I just don't tolerate. I don't tolerate anyone um, telling someone that they should have done better because should have isn't a word that ever exists in my reality. Because if you could have, you would have. You would have, exactly. Should have is shit. Um, And yeah, so that's pretty much it. Like, I think that that is like one of the most crucial aspects of healing is just having a place where we feel like we can share, not hold back at all, you know, and, and be accepted yeah. and heard and, under, and understood, <laughs> exactly you know. I just, like, sometimes I have, I have people in the group just saying that, like, you know, sometimes I just really want to leave. I want to kill myself. And I love that. I love that because I don't fear people who are suicidal. You know, a lot of people fear people who are suicidal, like clients that are suicidal. And I don't fear, you know, anyone that's suicidal because suicidal, as I said, it's just a symptom. And so I want them to share that so that I can help them understand this is a part of you that feels a lot of pain. And I, I, I need people to understand that. Like, if you really tuned into that part of you, you would recognize that you don't want to leave this earth. You don't want to die. You just want the pain to end. We can feel the pain and move through it without killing ourselves, you know? Um, and I just, I love opportunities like that to be able to shine a light on things that people are too terrified to talk about. Same thing about, I want to hit my kid. You know, I, I, I do hit my kid. Great. Let's talk about that. Let's let's shine light on what's going on for you in those moments, you know, because this is because you are hurting. This is because you are wounded. Um, and so ultimately, like, I really, I really prize the place and the space that I create because I just want to make sure that people can find real truth real information and real answers to the stuff that people don't really want to talk about or that they just are typically shaming and judgmental of, you know? And one of the yeah. things that I prize most really is like people healing themselves rather than anyone being your guru or anyone else being the person that's going to bring you to the top of the mountain. My, my ethos is, you know, best I can be a guide. I can give you some of the awareness and some of the information that I've learned along my journey, but you inevitably are going to be your own master. You're going to be the master of your own ship. And until you get to that point, I can be here to, to guide you along the way, but don't give your power to anyone else. Even if they seem mm -hmm. like they know, they, they're not you. They haven't been through what you've been through. Yeah, I think that you and I are, were given a similar gift of like, just having that like boldness to just like fucking own it. And then 
other people then feel safe to do the same, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, and um, I, you know, I have the, I have clients, I do um, inner child kind of coaching, I guess. Um, and that's been great as well. You know, I love, I love doing that. And I'll really like my dream is to create groups because I just feel like, you know, even just not even for a profit, but more so for, I feel like women, unfortunately, we're really, really traumatized when it comes to other women. Like, I feel yeah. like it's so hard to have safe connections with women because of the mother wound and because of the way that we have been societally raised to judge each other. Um, and you know, I really feel like one of the things I learned from my own healing journey is I did a lot of it by myself. You know, mm. I really was a lone ranger in my healing journey, you know, and I recognize now the power of having strong women with you, you know, other women mm -hmm. that can heal alongside you or mentors mm -hmm. or just people to be there, but, but women in their power not women in the in that toxic um that toxic role um but women who are in their power who are leaning into discomfort and so like i guess my husband goes to a men's group once every two weeks and you know it's incredible it's a place where like they all really just own their shit own mm -hmm. their pain mm -hmm. share that deep well within them and i feel like i want to eventually just have that here especially in Perth just face to face even for myself so that we can all have a space where women are doing the work and they can create those connections in a safe way because I have had so much trauma with women it's taken me a very very long time to trust to learn to trust yeah I think that's a very common experience you know mm. yeah so. well this has been awesome We'll have you back. I'll put all your shit Thanks. in the show notes. Amazing. And you are, you're a badass. Thank you. You too. Badass Evans. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.